I'm Carrie Miller, and this is the Take It to the Lake Summer Book Special. I've asked three people who spend a lot of time recommending books to devoted readers to reflect on these questions. What makes a book just right for a leisurely summer weekend? What book added to the pleasure of a memorable summer getaway, whether that was at sleepaway camp as a kid or a first trip overseas as an adult? And if you could put three books in the hands of our listeners this summer, what would they be? Okay, strap on that life preserver and those water skis. We are taking it to the lake. Glory Edom is a writer and founder of Well-Read Black Girl. She joins us from D.C. Glory, welcome. It's good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. So I spend all winter, I wonder if you do this, I spend all winter putting aside particular books that I want to read in the summer because I I want to have that reading experience with that particular book. And one of the books that I've got set aside right now is Violetta by Isabella Allende. Do you do that? I do. I do. I get so many wonderful books from publishers and from friends. And I kind of like hoard them on my nightstand. And then when it's summertime, when I have like some time, I just like, I close my eyes and I pick one. And I decide like, this is the story that I'm going to like, really immerse myself in. So yes, I do have like a process of getting lost in a book. Okay, so you but you don't have it sounds like this is all just somewhat random which book you're going to choose. Like, like, I'm thinking, I don't want frothy, you know, I'm not really I don't buy into the whole beach read thing. But I want a book that feels luxurious and the reading Mm -hmm. experience will feel luxurious. Do you experience the way you read differently, you know, depending on the season? I think so. With the summertime, I just feel just a tad more leisurely and relaxed. Whereas like during the fall or the winter, I tend to be more regimented. I have like a little, a stricter schedule. And a lot of times when I'm having conversations about books, I'm in the process of facilitating those conversations. So there are a lot of footnotes. There are a lot of highlighting happening. There's (laughs) tabs on the side. Whereas in the summer, I really pick a book that just lets me follow the plot. I'm in love with the voice. I'm a very voice-driven writer and editor. So if I can find a story that has this like a really sensational and powerful voice, I, I like, I tend to save those reads for the summer because that's like my, that's like my fun time. That's like, let's get lost into a story time, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so it is rare for me to talk to somebody who reads for comprehension the way it sounds like you do. And, and this is, this is exciting. I want to know about your <laughs> philosophy. For, th- that's how I go through a book, too, when I'm preparing for an interview. Lots of focus, lots of tabs, lots of little colored 3M tabs on the side, questions mm-hmm. that are popping up. How is your experience of reading for comprehension and preparation different from your experience of, you know, this great spy novel came out and I'm just going to dive into it and I'm not going to care whether I'm preparing for some kind of conversation around it. Oh, completely. So my jam is conversation. Like I'd love to be in deep conversations with people. And this is another question for you, Carrie. Are you a Kindle reader by any chance? Yeah, both. I do both. 
Okay, both. I do the, I, I'm the same. You know, when you're reading on the Kindle and you fall on a sentence and you notice that like another like 300 people have like <laughs> highlighted that same yes. sentence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I live for those moments where like, why is this sentence so powerful? Why did it resonate with everyone? What feels universal for with that sentence? So I try to find moments in books that way. Like, what is the memory that this like pushes forth when you're reading? Like, wh- how, how does this impact you? What is the intimacy you're feeling with the story? Mm-hmm. So I'm when I'm reading, I'm looking for those conversation pieces that allows people to just really open up and figure out how this story impacts their own experience. You know, it's a delicate balance, right? Because when you're yes. reading for comprehension and preparation, you don't want to be outside the experience of the book. You want to be fully mm-hmm. immersed in the experience of the book. But in some ways, one part of your brain is saying, okay, this passage, uh, there's some there's some mystery to this passage, and I want to explore it. So, right, you're in and out of the experience of the yes, book. Does that make sense? Completely. <laughs> yeah, completely. Because I, I tried to really, you know, rely on my intuition, too. So did I cry the whole way through? Did I laugh the whole way through? Yeah. What were the moments that really delivered uh you know, intimacy for me. So, and then I love craft. I'm like, how did this person tell the story? How did they drive the plot forward? What What are the suspenseful moments? So I'm just trying to, you know, the questions that I'm having, I imagine that, you know, the people in my community, other readers are having a shared experience. And so I'm just trying to pull them out really delicately and allow us to have a full and really robust conversation about it. Tell me about the founding philosophy of well-read Black girl. I mean, what were some of the things that you said, this forming this because it will accomplish this? In the beginning, I was really, um, I really was just sparked by curiosity. The books that I was reading just had allowed me to have so many questions. And I was relying on my own lived experience. And then as the popularity grew, people were asking me other questions about, you know, who, what did it mean, right? Like when you say these words, well-read Black girl, what does that mean to you? And I started to think about my experience at Howard University, which is a historically Black college, and all the things that I read that helped me to become the person that I am today. And as I was reading and being just really... um what's the word? Just like careful with, with the text. Like I felt like when I was in college, I was just very precocious, but also just like very gentle with my, you know, the things that I was reading. I just was like, I want, I want this to make a difference. I want to find my purpose. I maybe all college students find that way. You know, they're just like open to the world. And so when it came to the founding, I just wanted the purpose to really note that there was a time where African-Americans were not allowed to read. Like it literally was illegal for, to teach a a person, a black person to read during slavery. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started to think about the historical context and how, what it means to say that you're well-read. And is that only when you read Shakespeare and Walt Whitman, or does that include Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and James Baldwin? How can we really open up what it means to read from the literary canon? And how can we think about these writers in conversation with one another? How do their books influence one another? So I really went from 
thinking about the words well-read Black girl and thinking about my own experience as a young person trying to become someone that was um, making a difference in the world. And a lot of the books and the things that I selected influenced me and really laid the foundation for me to think of, of myself as a global citizen, as an activist, as a radical thinker, um, and it developed my agency. So all those experiences are really tied up in the founding. I'm Carrie Miller. You're listening to our Take It to the Lake summer book special, and Glory Edom is with us. She's a writer and founder of Well-Read Black Girl. We're talking to her about reading experiences. She is also going to recommend books for for us through uh, through the summer, some books that you're going to want to put on your list for your summer reading. Glory, I, I know one of your primary focuses is, is on African-American writers who have influenced contemporary writers of color and, as you said, are, are in conversation with one another. I, I just read – I think it's Layla Motley's or is it Leela Motley's? I think it's – yes, Nightcrawler. Yes. Ooh, yes. Yeah. yes. Her new novel. So I have so – I'm doing an interview with her um, soon, but she is a very young woman – with a very big book. I wonder how different you think her experience in the book world is going to be from some of the the women writers of color who have come before. I feel like she's going to be embraced with open arms. She's going to like experience this literary space in a whole new way because there's just so many more resources. There's so many people that are more aware of the importance of, you know, activating and amplifying BIPOC voices. It's just a, a new world compared to five years ago, 10 years ago. There are more people championing this idea that we need to read widely and diversely. So I hope that her debut publishing experience is just full of joy and people just really coming to her with questions and really appreciating her work for the the craft and also for the originality of her story. Her story is just, I've just started reading it. So I'm sure you're, you're probably way past the, <laughs> the pages, but um, I'm just really taken by her use of dialogue, her, the, the plot and just like the, um, I want to say the word messiness, but it's not mm -hmm. even that. It's just like a complicated mm -hmm. narrative. There's so many different moving parts, but she's able to put this story together so beautifully. So I, I, I'm hoping that she just has a wonderful and really um, immersive experience with the community of people that are going to be reading her fantastic novel. You know, you, you've you've hit on something that I've thought about through the whole reading of that novel, which is she makes this the complexity of the story and the characters look really effortless. I mean, mm -hmm. I did catch myself kind of saying, oh my gosh, she built this infrastructure in the story that I can't really see, which for me is, you know, again, allows for the totally immersive reading experience. But for someone who was so young, debut novel started it when she was, 17 years old. Yeah. It's remarkably yeah. assured, I guess, in those ways too, than you'd expect. Oh, that is, you're completely spot on because it's not only this like beautiful tale of survival and resistance, but she really uses the landscape of Oakland to build up this whole world. So right. whether you're familiar with the region or not, like you are totally pulled in and it feels just so real and, and, um, 
I, I can't even think of the word, just like her, her use of language mm-hmm. and just like the rawness, you know, it just feels like you are literally in the world with her, like having a conversation one-on-one. Um, and I, I love when writers do that. Like I mentioned earlier, I love the voice. I, I think that that's the most powerful tool you can have when you're writing prose, like just really having it feel like electrifying on the page. And she does that. Okay, when I ask you for three books that you would put into the hands of your friends, my friends, that must be read this summer, what are they? Okay, so I I love the debut writer. That is like what what I live for. And there is a new book called... post-traumatic and it is by Chantel V. Johnson. And it really talks about this young woman who has this narrative of being a survivor, but also like a heroine and for to the outside world, she's like, has it perfectly put together, but she's also dealing with all these like, complicated issues of her childhood. And I am good for like, I want to understand everyone's childhood. Like, how did you become the person who, that you are? Um, and so she has these like wonderful like little notes of who she's becoming, but it feels like really raw and it's like super unforgettable. Like how she tells the story is funny, although like there's, it's traumatic. <laughs> like things are happening that feel like, okay, like these are really heavy topics, but she gives you these moments of just like pure joy and laugh. Like you're laughing, but you're like, oh my gosh, this person survived this really traumatic thing. But there's just like a lot of humor in the writing. So I think she did a really good job of, um, again, you can, there's a theme, Carrie. I like complication. (laughs) If you you can see, like, you know, like, so she's like, you know, a dead, again, the character is like this dedicated lawyer and she's, you know, advocating for like mentally ill patients, but at the same time, like she's contending with all these things in her own life. And, um, but she does it with such grace and like great humor. And I I love a story like that. So it's called post-traumatic. And if you're a fan of satire, you'll like really fall in love with her voice in the story too. There's a lot of great like satire and observation. All right. The next book. Okay. So if, um, are you familiar with the artist Janelle Monae? She is like, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you're going to recommend her new book. Dirty robot. Yes, yes, yes. It's the memory librarian and other stories of the dirty computer. Your like, computer. Yeah. So, yes. Like, it's so amazing. And, you know, sometimes I kind of sit on the fence when it comes to, like celebrity novels and books. Right. But she did a great job of really bringing in this whole theme of Afrofuturism and having these incredible um, contributors that helped her shape the story. So it's a collection of tales and it feels like really bold um, and it's compelling. Like, you know, you talk, she talks about what it could be like in the year, you know, 2050 and all the things that you can see in the future. So I'm, I'm a fan of science fiction and Afrofuturism. Um, and I think Janelle Monet did an incredible job with this book. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all I'm really into it. In Is there anything like, she can't do, Glory? I mean, really? I know, I know, <laughs> I know. It's just like, like I was just like, really, like this is like so perfect. And and I and I took some time to kind of like you know go through it and go through my rabbit hole of like, okay, like like is she having conversations with other writers in this? And she definitely is. Like it's it's giving me Octavia Butler. It's giving me Nettie Okafor. Like it's giving me all those things. So there's a lot of 
of like technology and identity expression and looking at just like different worlds and how we can embody them. So it, it's it's great. It's Sounds really good. Great. Wow. You know, I didn't know if I was going to read that. Now it's on my list. So good. Yes, please. Right. I also heard the audio book is really great. Ah, that would be a great way to listen. Does she record it? Do you know? Oh, you know what? I'm I'm not sure. Mm. I've I've heard reviews. I'm not, I'm I'm sure she does though. I'm sure yeah. there's like a moment from her and the other contributors. All right, one last book that you must put into the hands of our summer readers. What would it be? Okay. Yes. So I am another. Um, <laughs> there's like two on my list. I'm like, which one do I do? Okay. So <laughs> I think I'm going to go with Shine Bright by Danielle Smith, mm-hmm. and she is this. Imp- incredible cultural critic. She's written about music from for years, like decades. And she has all these beautiful personal testimonies of stories about icons like Whitney Houston and Aretha Franklin, and just like everything that has to do with the beauty of Black music. And so she takes her experience as being a reporter at all these incredible music magazines over the years. And, t- and it's like part reporting but part memoir she really talks about how the music influenced her and the subtitle of the book is a personal history of black women in pop um so for all those folks that love whitney houston and beyonce but you also want like a little bit of the the wikipedia of like how did these women become the cultural icons that they are and um just beautiful testimonies of those who love music and writing. I think Danielle Smith did a great, great job. Like it's just a beautiful tribute to um, cultural expression and the beauty of music and Black women. Okay, Glory, run down the list real quick. Just the titles and the authors. One more time for us. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the first one is Post Traumatic by Chanel V. Johnson. The second one, the second one is The Memory Librarian and Other Stories of Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet. And then the final pick on my list is Shine Bright by Danielle Smith. Glory, you're the best. Let's do it again sometime. All right. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. This was absolutely wonderful, Carrie. Thank you so much. Glory Edom is a writer and the founder of Well-Read Black Girl with us from D.C. I'm Carrie Miller. You're listening to our Take It to the Lake summer book special. We asked Dion Sims to join us. She's the founder of Black Garnet Books. You've heard her on these book shows before and... Welcome back. It's good to have you in the studio. We've never met. So welcome. I know. Thank you so much for having me. I've seen some exciting news that Black Garnet is a few months away from moving into a permanent bricks and mortar location. Now you do have a kind of a pop up location at the moment, right? So I my pop up location is more um, interspersed. Now I don't really pop up in the same place as I used to. Um, but yes, I'm still doing pop-ups. I'm still around the cities, uh, both Minneapolis and St. Paul. So that's been really exciting. But by the end of the summer, you will have your own space. Yes. All right. How is that going to change, do you think, your philosophy of book selling? Mm. I mean, I think it's going to be way more intimate. You know, I'm going to have more time with people than I do at a pop-up. Because at a pop-up, the energy is really high. And people are really there to you know, mingle and see the books, but also, you know, if it's at a brewery, grab a beer, things like that. Um, Whereas at the bookstore, people are there for the intent and purpose of getting a book, you know, (laughs) that's right, getting to speak to the booksellers. And so I'm excited to be able to 
grow my relationship with the people who visit Black Granite. Um, I just think it's going to be so exciting to get to have that further, that kind of deeper relationship with them. This is a very personal thing to design a space that has your, that in some ways represents your curiosity Mm. and your thinking about reading, but that also is inviting to people who wander in, don't know you, want Mm -hmm. to have you know, kind of an elevated experience Mm -hmm. with reading. So how did you think about that as you designed the space? It's going to be in St. Paul, right? Yes, it's going to be in St. Paul in the Midway neighborhood. Perfect. Um, So how did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that I have wanted from the start. You know, when I was like, I want to start a bookstore, you're really thinking about, you know, how can I relate to people and how can I also take something that they may be unfamiliar with. In this case, a lot of books by uh, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. You know, how can I take that and kind of mesh these two worlds together? You know, most exciting is going to be just... uh, I mean, I'm just like, I'm just like full of energy thinking (laughs) about it. It's just being able to create displays that catch people's eyes. Mm -hmm. Because I think that... Displays are one of the big things that indie bookstores can do to really like grab people in who, you know, may be walking by and aren't really sure what the bookstore is all about. You can say, you know, this is what this bookstore stands for. Here are a couple books that really just scream the personality of this bookstore. Um, So I think that, you know, I'm really going to take advantage of the ability to make just really fun displays, really cool displays that uh, showcase these books. Um, but also showcase the kind of spirit and the energy that I'm wanting to put into Black Garnet. I mean, this is this is kind of the balance, right? Mm-hmm. You want you want potential readers to be invited to uh, what investigate a book that means a lot to you. Mm-hmm. But you also don't want to be too proscriptive, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're in this store, I'm going to hit you over the head with this book and everybody's got to read, right? It has to feel like uh, there is some adventure to it too, right? Yes. I'm discovering things yes. in this book. And yet it's representative of your, again, as I said, your curiosity and your philosophy. Yes. I mean. Absolutely. And I think you've touched on something that um, I think Black is going to be very special to Black Garnet Books is that, um, you know, When you go to any other bookstore, there might be a display that's, you know, specifically for Black History Month. Right. Or, you know, um, Asian American Pacific Islander History Month. Um, But whereas in a store where all of the books are by people of marginalized races um, and marginalized identities, there's no need for that, you know, because it's like everything in that store, no matter what book you you pick up, it's going to be about, um, you know, people of color and it's going to be about our histories. It's going to be about our futures. It's going to be about our present, um, our life experiences. And so nothing's going to feel prescriptive and nothing's going to feel, you know, like it's really like bashing you over the head. Like you have to read this for this month only, you know, it's really (laughs) going to be about just normalizing all of these really diverse experiences um, in the sense that, you know, it is still fiction, nonfiction, poetry, 
all the things that people are used to when they walk into a bookstore. It's just that it's going to be highly curated um, to the experiences that really don't get heard as often as they should. One of the things that Glory Edom, uh, the founder of Well-Read Black Girl, told me about what she seeks in a in a general reading experience, but also in a summer reading experience, is a strong voice that isn't afraid to be messy and complicated. Mm-hmm. How does that fit with, with what you're looking for all year round and, and in a summer reading experience? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, that gets into the like a whole history of pop culture um you know going back to the 70s of like black exploitation and moving out of that and into kind of this like superhuman um black character or, or the or the the strong independent black woman and how people were really trying to um flip the script but in the ways that they flipped the script created an entirely another script that we then were boxed into (laughs) um so i i personally also feel so strongly about messy complex characters that you read and you're like oh you know like this this woman character yeah she's strong but she's also just really messy you know or like she's not making the best decisions or things that just feel relatable you know Mm -hmm. because um i think especially for readers of color we're looking for those really real experiences we're looking for those books that validate that yeah we're you know trying to or rather that we're up against these stereotypes but at the same time we're still human Mm -hmm. you know and we want to see ourselves reflected in that way you want characters that don't obviously that don't feel sterile Mm mm-hmm that feel like it is a truly human experience, but that also don't fall into a lot of the tropes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Again, a delicate balancing act for the writer and the reader. It really is. I I noted a couple of books on your website that that I'm not familiar with. I want to ask you about them. The Chosen and the Beautiful. Yes. I knew nothing about this book. Fill me in. Yeah. Um, so The Chosen and the Beautiful um, is one that I actually just added to our inventory. Ah. Um, it is, I, well, so I'm trying to bring in um, kind of like an equal amount of um, uh, Asian vo- uh, voices, mm. Asian authors, especially because in the neighborhood that I'm opening the bookstore in, We've, there's a very uh, large Hmong population. There's a large Vietnamese population. And so I want to make sure that all of the books that I'm carrying are, um, you know, reflective of the life experiences of the people in the neighborhood themselves, since, you know, they're going to be the ones who are coming to visit the most. Right. Um, so, yes, The Chosen and the Beautiful actually came out a few years ago. This is going to be the paperback that just came out. Um, I haven't gotten to read it myself, but... Um, from what I know, it's a really beautiful novel following um, the life experiences of being Asian American, but also um, kind of moving into a little bit of surrealism, too. So I think it would be really good for anyone who 
wants to have a deeper understanding of what it is to be Asian American, but at the same time is looking for a little bit of magic, mm, a little bit of, yeah. you know, stepping into a, a little bit of fantasy there. Uh, I also saw Don't Cry For Me by Daniel Black. Yes. yes. I have, I've not heard about this book. Oh, gosh. Gorgeous book. I'm missing out. Gorgeous Fill book. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Don't Cry For Me is a book about um, a gay black man. And it is really an ode to the relationship that he had with his father. Mm-hmm. It's him looking into, you know, what does it mean to be a black gay man in America not just in a social way, but also in a familial way. You know, how did that being part of who he is affect his relationship with his father, affect his relationship with his family? Um, You know, it has uh, a written element of letter writing, almost writing to the father. Um, And I just think think it's gorgeous. I think it's beautiful. It's definitely going to be one that people read and it sticks with them for sure. I mean, this again is like the power of what it means to be a bookseller, right? Mm, You can bring these books out into the light to say to readers like me, um, you might have overlooked this. Mm -hmm. Don't, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Dion Sims is with us. She's part of our Take It to the Lake Summer Book Special. She is the founder of Black Garnet Books, and they will be open in their first permanent bricks and mortar location, uh, what, at the end of August, early September? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. (laughs) And we're excited about that. So stop in and visit. Tell me about a summer reading experience that was was tied up that the that the um wonder of the experience was really tied up in the moment that you were reading Mm. and the book that you were reading Mm, absolutely um i love this question because uh, that makes me feel really nostalgic because i feel like the last time that i really had that kind of summer reading experience was probably when I was in school, yes, you know, because right. you're you're in school, you're doing a lot of academic reading, but then the summer is really for you. Right. And it's really for getting back into touch with the books that like you're like, oh, I've been wanting to read this all year and I finally have time. Um, so for me, I feel like that was um, probably summer of my sophomore year in college. I was reading a YA novel because I am one of those adults who still loves young adult books um, called The Raven Cycle. Mm. And The Raven Cycle is this just very swirling kind of magical. It's got tarot cards, ley lines, ghosts, like all this stuff. Um, and I'm reading this book at the same time that I'm visiting Savannah, Georgia for the ah, first time, wow. which anyone who's been to Savannah knows that it is extremely haunted. Just one of like the most like hauntingly beautiful, but also just historically haunting places uh, in the entire country. And so, you know, I'm reading this book lying in the grass with these long, you know, willow trees around me and just there's cobblestone roads and I really just felt like I was transported into the book you know I kind of felt like oh like I can feel the magic in this space I can feel that you know history and the ghosts of all the people who've lived here and who've made this space what it is um and I just think that that was amazing I I really I miss that I miss that 
That is a remarkable answer. It, it's, I think it's rare when the place and the experience of the reading is so closely fused mm. with the story yeah. that is being revealed to you. Mm. It's a lucky thing. But you're right. That I, See, for me, that tends to happen again when I have this just feeling of the luxury of time. Yes. That I am not rushed and I can savor and I can take note of the experience of the reading as much as the story yes, of exactly. the reading, right? Exactly. And those experiences probably get harder and harder to grab onto because of the velocity of, you know, our days, Yeah, right? Absolutely. I know, and I feel like that's something that I'm personally trying to get back to, you know, as an adult where I'm like, okay, you know, it's, it's starting to finally warm up here in Minnesota. <laughs> um, and I'm feeling like I... I'm just feeling that urge again to like get back into the things that I love, which right. of course is one of them is reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to pretend like I have a summer vacation again. You know, I really want to carve out the time this summer to just, you know, to travel again, which I think more of us are probably mm-hmm. going to start doing as we feel safer. Um, and just making sure that I've got a couple books on hand. I think that that's going to be my summer. It's just carrying books with me like I Gee, used to. Sounds perfect. Yeah. Okay. Put three books that you love in the hands of our summer readers who are mm. listening. What would they be? Absolutely. Um, so the first one is going to be Memphis. Mm-hmm. It's a debut novel by Tara M. Stringfellow. Um, it follows three generations of a Southern black family over 70 years. I love it already. Family it, saga. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. South. Yep, I'm in. I know. Um, and it's starting and it starts in 1995 with the main character, Joan. Mm-hmm. And I think for um, a lot of people right now, we're going through a moment where we feel we're feeling very nostalgic. We're mm-hmm. thinking about the before times, mm-hmm. quote unquote, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so I think this book does an amazing job of moving between um, the times that were before and the times that are now and kind of seeing those connections and seeing in the ways that they um, build the future that we're going towards. Um, And it also looks into inheritance, generational inheritance. Um, And I think that's also a conversation we're all having, having right now is, you know, what are what is you know Gen Z inheriting from millennials? Mm. What have millennials inherited from Gen X? What has Gen X inherited from boomers? You know, and we're all seeing that despite what we've all inherited from each other, we're still in this together. And like the ways in which we interact with each other really matter. Um, and I think that this book, uh, all of the all of the ways that it connects, just time. And and family and but also society, I think is brilliant. So Memphis. All right. Yes. It's on the list. Absolutely. What's number two? So number two, this book came out last summer, but I think it's a book that is relatable every summer and probably is gonna be relatable every summer, um, ever since. It's called All We Can Save, Truth, Courage, and Solutions for the Climate Crisis. Hmm. And it's a collection of essays written by women. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all at the forefront of the climate movement. And, you know, I read this book last summer for the first time when, like, the sky was hazy with smoke blowing in from the west. And it kind of put that orange tint over everything. Yeah. And you can't help but feel 
just like a little bit apprehensive every time you leave the house. And I just, I feel as, you know, climate change is eminent and as it is happening, that it's easy to feel helpless and it's easy to feel like, oh, I don't know what to do. Like I'm scared every time that I step outside and I'm reminded that it's happening. Um, but this book really helped, you know, settle a lot of my climate anxiety because it's these women who are, you know, scientists, they're farmers, they're teachers, they're activists, and they're all giving these really helpful ways to stay grounded and to have what they call climate hope. And I think that that's something that I want to remind myself every year is like, there is hope and there is, um, you know, we can still have our beautiful summers by the lake, mm -hmm. but it's going to take all of us together to like really create change and that's sustainable. And so, you know, that's one of those things where I'm like, okay, we all want to keep our beautiful lakes here in Minnesota. Like we all want to continue to enjoy our like hot muggy summers. And I really think having a realistic um, attitude around climate change is a big part of that. Okay, yeah, good. Absolutely. Book number three. And then book number three. So I chose this book for everyone who is looking forward to or dreading wedding season. <laughs> um, you know, as we know, summer weddings are coming. They're on their way. Uh, but this book is called Yinka, Where Is Your Husband? Uh, it's by Lizzie <laughs> Dimalola Blackburn. And it's a romantic comedy novel about a 30-something. She's black. Uh, she's British-Nigerian, graduated from Oxford. You know, she's very accomplished. She's got all the things that come with that, like a great job that pays well. She's got a great group of friends that she built through college. But she doesn't have a date to her cousin's <laughs> wedding. Classic rom-com storyline. But um, I think this book is super fresh. I think it's super fun. Um, and like we talked about having messy, realistic characters. Yeah. Oh, Yinka is hilarious and an absolute disaster. <laughs> I love her. I think it she's like so, so great. Fun. It's so much fun. Um, so I think for anyone who's like you know, had a few friends that got engaged over the winter or his family that's, you know, gonna have a wedding anytime soon or friends. Um, I think this book is perfect for this time of year. Dion, run down the titles and the authors real quick. Absolutely. Time. So that was Memphis by Tara M. Stringfellow. Uh, All We Can Save, Truth, Courage and Solutions for the Climate Crisis. And that's edited by Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson and Dr. Catherine K. Wilkinson. And then Yinka, Where Is Your Husband by Lizzie Demalola Blackburn. I love your combination of books, too. Thank you. That's really great. Dion, thank you. Thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you so much. Dion Sims is the founder of Black Garnet Books. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Big Books and Bold Ideas, and it's our Take It to the Lake summer book special. I'm talking now with Matt Kelleher. He is the book buyer at Subtext Books in downtown St. Paul. Welcome back to the show. Long time no chat. Good Indeed. to see you. Indeed. Thanks for having me. Good How to you be been? Here. I have been very well, thanks. All right, good. Yeah. So if I walked into Subtext today, and I do walk into Subtext, mm -hmm. but it may not be today, what would I see about your book philosophy and your ideas about what 
people should be reading and could be reading? Like, what's your philosophy? Yeah. So as as the buyer of the store, I work with my colleagues to make uh, decisions about the books that we carry and what we stock. And um, we pick and choose based off our own personal interests and that sort of thing. But also we uh, grab things that, you know, we people will expect to see and um, certainly things that and the ones that make me most happy are the ones that people don't expect to see. And uh, often I get most excited when somebody comes in to pick up a particular book and they end up walking out with the two that were sitting next to that one. (laughs) Okay, that's what I'm curious about, Mm -hmm. because you've said you know, you're going to put the best sellers up there. Mm-hmm. People will come looking for That's that. That's what you'll see right when you walk in. Yep. But what you also want is to lure them past the best seller rack because those authors don't really need the introduction. They've already mm-hmm. got it. Mm-hmm. Into what? I mean, what kind of adventure in reading do you want your your customers to have? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that comes with engaging in a conversation with the the booksellers, whether that's through literally in conversation or sort of just going through and reading the shelf talkers, you know, we've got those tags all over our right. shelves. So I love those. Um, That's important a, to me in a, yeah. in an independent bookstore. And it's, yeah. it's sort of a passive way to, to be in conversation with those booksellers to read what they're interested in and get a sense for what they, um, like to read. And, and, you know, we've got customers who come through and, and see, Sarah's and Sue's recommendations and know that those are books that they're going to love because they've got a relationship with those booksellers. And so, you know, a lot of our displays do showcase things that people are expecting to see when they show up there. But we also have a giant display. Saturday was Independent Bookstore Day. Mm-hmm. And so we have a giant display of just like our favorite books. And those are books that, you know, you might not expect to see. So does your personal interest and curiosity, mm-hmm. Matt, do you think that makes it besides just the little shelf talkers? Mm-hmm. Do you think that makes it into the overall uh, feel of the store? Yeah, I like to think so. Personally, as the buyer, I I try not to it it's a balance, right? I try right. not to to overly exert my will or interests <laughs> on the on the on the um curation, but at the same time, that's what keeps it interesting for me mm-hmm. and I think it's also what keeps it interesting for customers. And so while I certainly you know, order lots of books that I will never read. There's too many of them out there for me to get to. I think it's the ones that, uh, even though I haven't read, I know that there's somebody out there who will find interest in this and bringing those books in from deeper within the publisher's catalogs are, are always fun for me to see and and of interest. You walked in with an armload of books Mm -hmm. and there are three Mm -hmm. that I'm going to ask you if you could put three books into the hands of, our listeners and readers this summer, mm-hmm. what would they be? Yeah. So right off the bat, the first one is called Trust by Hernan Diaz from Riverhead. Uh, it just published on May 3rd, um, and it is exquisite. Hernan Diaz is a writer that is is extremely talented, and he writes with, with such precision. His sentences just sort of sing off the page. And... Um, the book is is structured in a way where, where there's four books within it. And as the, you start with the first one and you get the sense of these characters and the next one sort of unravels a little bit of the first one. And the third book sort of unravels even further the rest of it. So are you getting, are you getting kind of a second perspective on mm-hmm. what you thought you understood about 
the first part of the book. Correct. Yeah, oh, it's it's a really masterful. really well done literary puzzle. And by the end of it, you close the book on the last page, and you're left doubting sort of the whole of the story. And <laughs> really? it's, it it makes you want to go back and read it again and sort of uncover that masterful puzzle even further. Are we talking about unreliable narrators here or is it more is it more kind of subtle than it's, that? It's a little bit of that, but you don't really see that unreliability until later on. Um, it's about power and capital and wealth and the ways in which that sort of skews our perceptions of ourselves when you're in that powerful position and sort of crafting a narrative about who you want the world to see you as and the way that this man, um, Benjamin Rask, sort of thinks of himself a certain way and all the characters around of him see him differently. I am intrigued. It's, and I've I've seen a lot of buzz about this book. Yeah, the so. author was a, a, a Pulitzer finalist and is – in my opinion, one of the best prose writers out there right now. Wow. He's extremely good. Wow, wow, whoa. Better than Richard Powers? But <laughs> no, he does have <laughs> Don't to take bring that the older <laughs> story into this. I, I, I can't go there. Yes, that's a great one, too. Okay, the second book you brought. Yes, so this is uh, one of my favorite books of the last few months. It's called um, The Anomaly by Hervé Letelier, and you'll have to forgive me. My French is not Probably good for my high school. But, yeah, okay. thank you. <laughs> um, from other press, it is a, it's a French translation. Um, it was published in France in 2020, where it took over like wildfire. Everybody in France read it. They sold a million copies there. Wow. Um, it's this philosophical thriller, and the idea is a flight takes off from Paris to New York, and um, while the flight is is in midair, it flies through this weather event that turns into like this space time event. The flight lands in, in JFK like it's supposed to. And four months later, the exact same passengers or the exact same plane with the passengers and crew lands again. And so there's this plane full of duplicates or doppelgangers. Oh. And the story is about how world religions would react to an event like this. How would governments react? How would the individuals in the story react? And it is propulsive. It is the perfect mix of of literary and thriller. I mean, this and, is kind of chilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to think your copy, yeah, is walking around somewhere and yes. leading what a different life, exactly. making different decisions. Yeah, having different families, making and uh, it's it's really a fascinating book. Huh. Super fast read. Great, great book for a weekend. Yeah. Okay. And the third book is a book I've read and had a conversation with the author, and I'm mm -hmm. very happy to see it on your list. Yes. So let's talk about... This is uh, The Sea of Saint of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel. And I, it's it's wonderful. It's, it's so human and hopeful and um, brilliant in a way that only she could write this story. I, I really, really loved it. I mean, she's also playing with the idea of space and time and who are you if you had the ability to go forward or you had the ability to go backward and what would happen if decisions didn't get made in the before times, right? Yeah. But she does it – I mean, she's very interested in science fiction, you can tell. Mm -hmm. But she also does it in such a way – and I think I think this is – you'll find this in all of her other writing where it really is 
character-led and mm-hmm. deeply compassionate, mm-hmm. and you don't feel like you're getting caught up in the technology of it, mm-hmm. but the technology is pretty interesting, yeah. too. What else did you like about she it? She has just such a, a subtlety to her writing that that really invites the reader in and keeps them engaged, and, and you feel super invested in her characters, and you write about it being character-driven, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a lovely story. You know, it, it spans this incredible length of time from the early 1900s to hundreds of years in the future. And there, there's not very many writers out there that could accomplish something like that. And she does it with such skill. Matt, one of the things I found myself doing was every time I was in the world of one character... I'd get so involved, I didn't really want to leave that world. And I think, oh, couldn't you have given me three more chapters on this world? But every part of the novel is that absorbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, again, the work of a master, right, mm-hmm. who really knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't read Station Eleven until I went and watched the oh, TV you, show. Oh, really? Oh. So then I went back and read the book. Okay, how did you find reading the book compared to seeing the TV it, show? It was different. I mean, part of because of the way the medium is, the, right. the book is so interior to those characters right. where the show is sort of externally yeah. driven. Um, but then I went back and read Station Eleven and, and I, I loved it and it it made me just have to dive into this one. Almost immediately. It's so good. One, one of the note that I, I love the way no matter what world she's creating futuristic, you know, far back, there is lushness and beauty to the world mm. itself. She takes time to care about the details mm-hmm. of what those worlds look like. So you feel like you are really immersed in yeah, that kind of space. And, and she does it in in. A, a fairly slight book, you know, right. for some writers, right. it takes so much more pages. And this is somewhat of a slim, you know, powerful force. So right. Yeah, it's 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 a masterwork for sure. Matt, I love your three books. Run them down again <laughs> real fast for listeners. For sure. here. So Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, The Anomaly by Hervé Letelier, and Trust by Hernan Diaz. You're ready to go to Paris with that pronunciation. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Kelleher with us, the book buyer for Subtext Books in downtown St. Paul. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Carrie. And I'm going to close with one more book that I recently discovered, although it came out a decade ago, but it is a perfect summer read. It's Danielle Sosin's The Long Shining Waters, It's set on Lake Superior. It explores the lives of three different women and the effect that the lake has on their lives. And it is terrific. Okay, happy, adventurous reading this summer.